Hey guys, some exciting news for you just before we get into our episode today. I was able to sit down and record our second interview episode we will release here on Sandy Creek Stirrings. Last time it was Dr. Scott Cottle. This time it is the most influential man that has ever come into my life. And I say that with no no shame, no guile, and an absolute seriousness. That is the man that has had the biggest impact upon my life. And that would be Pastor Patrick Jimenez, my father. And so it was an absolute honor to have him on. And so we talked about many things in that episode, from child rearing to marriage tips to what's it like being an overseas missionary, um, the biggest takeaway from being a pastor, um, the, uh, the testimony of how a Catholic who had been to the Vatican came to the Lord. And so a great interview episode. You're going to want to listen to it, and it'll be released on November 20th, Friday, November 20th. Don't forget that interview with Pastor Patrick Jimenez. But for now, here's today's episode. And if you're going to win souls, you've got to love souls. In spite of their meanness, in spite of the way they look, in spite of everything, you've got to seek to bring souls to Jesus Christ because you love them, because Jesus loved them, and because Jesus died for them, and you're trying to bring them to the Son of God. God is so good. He's so good to me. Isn't God good to you? Aren't you thankful to have a God of blessings? Aren't you thankful to have a God who cares about you, who cares about your relationship with Him, who cares about knowing you and cares about you knowing Him? Oh, I'm so thankful for the God that we are able to serve. God is so good. And I'm sure that you believe and know the same. You know, each morning, sometimes we can wake up, and sometimes we can wake up in a grumpy mood, can't we? Sometimes we can wake up and, well, we didn't wake up on the right side of the bed. Instead, we woke up a little grumpy, a little touchy, a little, hmm. I don't know if there's a better word to describe it than grumpy. And, um, you know, when we wake up like that, you know one of the best things you can do I'm going to change your life this morning. I'm going to give you something that will really make a difference for you. One of the best things you can do when you wake up in a grumpy mood, not only to pray and have your devotions and to read your Bible, but the best thing you can do, one of the best things you can do, is to start counting your blessings. Don't you love that song, Count Your Many Blessings, Name Them One by One, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. If you just count them, I think it would shock you how many blessings God has provided for you. Because sometimes we forget, don't we? Don't we sometimes forget how good God's been to us? We forget the blessings. We forget the things that he's provided. We forget the needs that he's met, the wants that he he has given to us. Sometimes we can forget. We can push it all aside because we're so caught up in ourselves and our own troubles and our own grumpiness that we push all of the things of God aside Instead of focusing on the blessings that he's provided us, we serve a magnificent God. We serve an incredible God. We serve, and I've heard that I use this word a lot. Maybe I'm tuning you into one of my uh, ticks or whatever you want to call it, um, something that I do. Um, but I heard I use this word a lot. But we serve a phenomenal God, a phenomenal God. We serve a God that, frankly... We don't deserve to serve. 
And so let me remind you this morning, as you go, wherever you are, maybe you're driving to work, maybe you're driving from work, maybe you are eating breakfast. I don't know where you normally listen. Where do you normally listen? That's a good question. And um, But anyway, learn, as wherever you are, to be thankful and to count your blessings. You know what? Driving safely to work is a blessing. Waking up in the mornings is a blessing. Having a Bible to hold in your lap is a blessing. Having the technology to be able to listen to this podcast is hopefully a blessing to you. Um, You name it. There's blessings all around us. The question is, are you Christian enough to actually recognize the blessings, or do you let them slip you by and never take time to stop and think about them? Learn to focus and think about the blessings of life. Now, today is a Friday. Now, you know that means it's a mixed bag day. It's a miscellaneous day. You never know what you're going to get. You never know what we're going to talk about. And that's one thing I like about Fridays. I really enjoy being able just to sit down and give you something miscellaneous, give you something new, but give you something that's practical that's going to help you. And I feel that's a great aspect of Fridays, and I'm sure you do too. Today, we're going to talk about something that's extremely practical. It's going to be based a little bit off of some of my life experiences and moving forward with some things, but I'm sure you read the title. And uh, the title read, Consistencies of Great Christians. Consistencies of Great Christians. Today's not going to be super deep. It's not going to be where we're going to get a big shovel and really just deep dive into the Word of God and really determine what every single word of a verse means. But we're just going to look practically at the consistencies of great Christians. The consistencies of great Christians. Things that they have in their lives that you and I should want to have as well. You see, they are a pattern for us. The great Christians that we know are truly setting a pattern for us on what we want to be like. Throughout Scripture, the Apostle Paul admonishes the young Christians like Titus, like Timothy, to be an example for people to follow after as he strived to be as well. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 16, Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Titus 2.7, here's a great verse on that. In all things showing thyself a pattern of good works. In all things. In doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity. In all things showing thyself a pattern. You know, these great Christians, they truly do set a pattern for us. They truly do show us what we should be like, what we should learn to do with our lives, what we should learn to implement, some things we can copy, some things that maybe we shouldn't have in our lives, maybe if they're not so great a Christian. And so I'm a firm believer. I've said this statement before. You can learn something from everyone, whether it's how to do something or how not to do something. And today I want to focus on the consistencies of great Christians. What do I see? What do you see? What is, in general, the consistencies of great Christians across the board? They have these things in their lives. And so we as Christians should take time. We should take time to look at the lives of great Christians, desiring to emulate those areas, to be like them in the areas that they excelled in for Christ. And so you've heard my testimony before. I was saved at age three and a half. Saved at age three and a half. My dad and mom, they raised me in church, uh, serving in ministries. I, I remember as a young kid, uh, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, I would run the, bo- run the 
run to the doors uh, off the bus and knock on the doors to get the kids out of you know out of their home and into our into our bus for church and knock the doors and let them know hey the bus is here since ever since I was a small kid I helped in junior church I helped to clean the church I helped to be just faithful to its ministries and my mom and dad raising me in the ministry well it impacted my life the first church that I truly remember was in Missouri, Carthage, Missouri. It was under working on with Dr. Jim Brown. He's passed on now until I was six years old. And he's truly the man who raised my dad in the ministry, who taught him the things of God within the ministry and how to work the ministry. He was like a grandfather to me. He really was. And I have a very... Um, I don't have a whole lot of memories from Brother Brown because of how young I was, but I have many and uh, many that are dear to my heart and things that he did. And uh, he was truly like a grandfather to me and took our family in during that time and how precious he was to our family. And, of course, his wife is still living. If she's listening, Miss uh, Pat Brown, oh, what a blessing she is and continues to be. And so I'm so thankful for him and the influence he had on my life. But then from there... We moved to Hattiesburg, Mississippi, and from there, my dad worked on staff under the leadership of Pastor Jerry George at Central Baptist Church, and I was able to attend the Christian school, help in other ministries. Two years later, God would move us to Winkler Road Baptist Church in Fort Myers, Florida, under Dr. Don Strange. And so, in 2006, you've heard this before, God moved us into missions. We began traveling the states, and so we were able to visit hundreds of churches. We are in meetings most of the week, and so dad and mom— did a phenomenal job at raising me and the and the other siblings within my family, raising us to learn to love the ministry, to love to serve, to love to sing, to love the preaching. I tell you what, I don't I don't know exactly what they did. Um, well, I know a few things, and maybe we'll talk about it sometime. But boy, as a kid, even as a young child, four, five, six, seven. Eight, they trained me to love preaching, to love preaching. To this day, one of my favorite pastimes is just to sit down and listen to preaching. You say, you enjoy that? I love it. I love it. And you can keep your your guys who are just, you know, the monotone, blah, blah, blah type guys. I like guys who yell at me and step on my toes. I like guys who put me in a corner and tell me what I've done wrong and what I need to get right on. I like guys who it's like a boxing match and I don't have any gloves. They're the only ones boxing. It's great. I love getting beat up for the cause of Christ. And uh, I tell you, I love it. I love it. And so one of the highlights of my year as a kid was when we were with Dr. Jim Brown. He had started a meeting. I believe he started it, but uh, he would run it called the Men's for Christ Meetings. And uh, as far as I know, they don't actually have those anymore. But the Men's for Christ Meetings, and um, I, as a kid, I love being able to go. We'd be able to hear the likes of uh, Joe Arthur and, and Dan Carr Sr. Um, from Gulfport, and what a great man of God he has been and still is. And um, being able to hear these preachers, I loved it. I love being able to go to those meetings. And so to this day, I love... I love listening to messages by the old the old preachers of old, the men who stood up for the faith, the men who who just they didn't compromise. They just kept going for God. I love listening to messages by I'll throw some names out there. Maybe you want to look them up. Lee Robertson. Lee Robertson is one of my favorites. You've heard his name before. He's featured in the intro for this uh for this podcast when you hear um 
and because he loves souls. That's Lee Robertson talking. Lester Roloff, Jack Hiles, uh, Harold Seitler. Boy, I just listened to a great message by Harold Seitler the other day. Curtis Hudson, Dallas Billington from Akron Baptist Temple back in the 1930s. Uh, Harold Henniger, John Rawlings, B.R. Lincoln, J. Harold Smith. Uh, God's Three Deadlines by J. Harold Smith. Go listen to that message and, and others. And so I love preaching. I love it. And I truly think that God would use my love for preaching and listening to preaching and hearing preachers to help me, to guide me in surrendering to preach when I was 10 years old. And so that's something I knew from a young age God was calling me to do. And so over my life, I've had the pleasure, I've had the honor to be able to spend time with many people, many great Christians, many great men of God, and I'd consider them great Christians. And there are some things that I have noticed, as I'm sure you would too in the Christians that you have known, there's some things I've noticed that all great Christians seem to have in common. They all seem to be consistent in these areas. They all seem to have these areas down. They seem to to have these areas worked on, and they want to make them consistent in their lives. These are things that I've noticed across the board for great Christians. And you say, how's that helped me? Well, if these are the consistencies of great Christians, then we should work on implementing them into our lives as well. Because if we do, maybe we too can be called not by men, but by God, a great Christian. So let's take these, examine your life, examine my life for me, And how can I implement these? What can I do to best implement these things into my life? The first thing I want to bring to your attention that I've found within the great Christians, the consistency that they all seem to have, is that they are soul winners. Not only are they soul winners, but they're soul conscious. They're soul passionate. They genuinely care about souls. Can I remind you, the Bible says in Proverbs 11.30, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. All throughout Scripture, God commands us to be concerned with the souls of the lost. After all, now that we are saved and growing and, and growing in God and having a relationship with Him, isn't that our purpose? Isn't that why He left us on earth? To preach the gospel to every creature? Every creature. Every great Christian I know without failure, every single one has a burden for the lost. Every single one. I didn't say a passing concern. I said they had a burden. They plan and they find ways to witness to people. They plan and they find ways to pass out tracts. I think one of the greatest examples of that was the old-time preacher named Carl Hatch. I mean, he would have a track. He would walk into an elevator. He would drop the track on the floor, and somebody would pick it up and say, what's that? And they'd say, you dropped it. And he'd say, well, what is it? And he'd look at it. He'd read the front. Well, look at that. It's a gospel track. Let's see what it says inside. And he would open it. He'd read the track in the elevator. He would do that on the on the street. He would do that. He would go into restaurants, and he'd pass out tracks. I mean, phenomenal example of just taking time to be passionate about souls and learning to win win souls on a consistent basis, on a consistent basis. Dr. Mike Ray, uh, Pastor Mike Ray of Hopewell Baptist Church in Chico, California, um, he grew his church by soul winning, grew his church by soul winning. 
On top of all the other ministries, hospital visits, studying, helping members, visiting the people, making flyers and bulletins, praying, taking care of his own home, he would go out three to four times a week for at least, I think it's three to five hours at a time, soul winning, knocking doors, trying to find people and lead them to the Lord. You say, how do you know that? Well, I was able to personally meet Dr. Mike Ray, Pastor Mike Ray, and when I was at Golden State for my uh, for my freshman semester, the only semester that I ended up being able to attend before God changed some of my plans around, and or really his plans, And um, but I was able to be in his class, personal evangelism, and hear him talk about these things and being able to meet him, and boy, he inspired. He inspired me, encouraged me to be more soul-conscious to be more soul conscious. And I believe from what I remember from the classes, he has a visitor, I believe every single week in church that he has led to the Lord that he has won. He's a soul winner. He's soul conscious. And I find that across the board with great Christians, they are soul conscious. They have a burden for souls. So here's the question. Do you have a burden for souls? How can we expect to be called a great Christian if we don't even have a burden for souls? A burden for souls. Number two, I find that every single great Christian I can find is they frequent the altar. They frequent the altar. The altar in the Bible was a place they went to have a serious time with the Lord and to give the Lord sacrifices. You'll find that within the Old Testament. Within churches, we call the typically the upfront stairs or the front pews, we call them the altar. And here's the deal. It signifies an important place to take our sins, our burdens, whatever the Lord has put on our heart, to take all these things and to sacrifice them before Him, to give them over to Him. It has a, a significant part of the, of the service, the, what we refer to as the altar call. We refer to as the altar call call. Now, people have asked me why there seems to be such a push to use the altar instead of people just staying in your seats and and praying from your seat. And let me give you a couple reasons why. Number one, you'll find that the Israelites never made sacrifices. Listen to me, the Israelites never made sacrifices from the comfort of their home. They had to go to the altar. There had to be movement. It's signified by the way that they were willing to take the necessary steps to show God they were serious. Number two, you'll find the biggest act of their lives, the sacrifice for the sins of people, took place at the altar, not at their home. It's kind of redundant. And then you'll find number three, the altar was always in the open before others. It wasn't used for pride like the Pharisees, but to be before the people uh, for, for a true believer helped to make them humble. And then last but not least, the altar was a place where God got their attention. And you'll find and do that the same. When you go to the altar, it's showing God, you know, God, I'm getting out of my seat. I'm getting out of my comfort zone. And God, I, I don't care if other people think that I'm going up there to confess a sin. I don't care what other people think about me. I don't care if people see my tears and, and me talking to God and being passionate and, and going up to the front and spending just a few moments with God and, and getting my life right in some areas or praying for somebody or putting something on the altar. I don't care, God. I'm willing to take the steps and willing to be humble about it. That's what the altar can do for you. Every single great decision I can make And that I've made, many of them, many of them came at an old-fashioned altar. Many of them came at an old-fashioned altar. 
And so I believe firmly that we should use the altar and we should become a little bit more passionate about it. It's okay to shed tears. It's okay to cry. It's okay to let emotions go sometimes. I think sometimes we, now I'm not saying this up and down roller coaster over the top ridiculous stuff. I hope you understand what I'm saying, but I think sometimes we try to try to stove up our emotions so much that we aren't willing to let a tear and let a tear be shed. We aren't willing to let somebody see us laugh. We aren't willing to show somebody that there's a sin that there that is giving us a righteous anger. Sometimes I think we bottle those up way too much. You know, men of the past generations were taught that men didn't cry. I don't know where they got that. Jesus cried, and he was the greatest man to ever walk the earth. And we need to get used to that. One of the men that I've seen use the altar is a man who, he cries, I think, every time I've heard him preach. And it's not this, it's not a fake cry. It's not a, it's not an overly emotional thing, but it's a thing where it's a, it's a true burden from his heart. It just comes it just comes up and it's a burden there that he genuinely cares about what he's talking about. That's the way it strikes me and boy it moves me. And that's uh Pastor Carrie Nance down in Tampa doing a great job with Southside Baptist Church. Um uses the altar. Uh I've seen him cry because it comes from a heart that is used to dealing with God and making decisions for God. Number three, I find not only do are they soul winners, they frequent the altar, but number three, I find they never compromise. They never compromise. The first time a great Christian compromises, I think they fail to be a great Christian. Because great Christians don't compromise the things of God that we cannot afford to compromise on. They make a rule for themselves, they make a rule for their families, and they do not let it slip. You know, in the Old Testament, we find a believer who was destined for greatness, but failed because of compromise. Judges chapter 14, verses 1 and 2, the Bible says, And Samson went down to Timnath, and saw a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. And he came up and told his father and mother, and said, I have seen a woman in Timnath of the daughter of the who the Philistines. Now therefore get her from me to wife. Let me ask you this. Was one of the people of God supposed to have a daughter of the Philistines for their wife? Absolutely not. He was compromising, wouldn't he? And you'll find this would affect the very trajectory of Samson's life. Raymond Hancock, who I had the pleasure of hearing speak, meeting, shake his hand, talk to for a little bit. Raymond Hancock once said, A good man never avoids confrontation by compromise. Why have we gotten into a generation of Christians who they, they don't want to have confrontation, so they compromise instead? Listen to me, a great Christian does not compromise. Instead, if it's confrontation that is necessary, then confrontation is necessary. A good man never avoids confrontation by compromise. They never compromise. Number four, I find that they are givers. They are givers. Acts chapter 20, verse 35 says, I've showed you all things, how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak, and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Giving. I've never seen, I've never seen a great Christian who didn't give of themselves to help others. Never seen it. I have never seen it. And here's the deal. Giving is a sign of the condition of the heart. 
Giving is a sign of the condition of the heart. There's a man by the name of Brother Tom Green. He's not a pastor. Did you know that you don't have to be a pastor to be a great Christian? Did you know you don't have to be a preacher to be a great Christian? Did you know you don't have to be a missionary to be a great Christian? Did you know that you don't have to be on church staff to be a great Christian? You can be a layman and be a phenomenal Christian and a great Christian. Did you know that? Brother Tom Green, he's not a he's not a pastor, but he is a godly Christian that is known as a giver. Known as a giver. He gave us when we were going for deputation. We had sold our motor home and we were finishing up the last part of deputation. He flew us up to New York and gave us a van that for us to travel around in for deputation. He helped the church, and including Victory Springs, in many ways and, and uh, sending money to help with funds and, and just being a blessing. A blessing. Um, he paid for our pastor to be able to take a trip to Israel. And I mean, just a phenomenal man of God who is always giving of himself. And you know what he's found? The more he gives, it doesn't return void. God gives right back, pressed down, running over, shaken together, shaken together. The Bible says, cast your bread upon the water and will it not return in many days? Yeah, God wants you to be a giver. God wants you to be a giver. Just recently, I was able to take um, Pastor Don Strange traveled through the area. My my former pastor, now my father is my pastor, but Pastor Don Strange took me uh, took me out to eat. And during lunch, we were talking about some things, and he pulled out his checkbook and he wrote me a check and handed me a check. I didn't ask for it. I didn't tell a a sad story and say, Pastor Strange, I just don't know what I'm going to do to do. I didn't I didn't tell him a sob story. I don't know what told him to. Well, I do know what told him to write me a check. It was the Holy Spirit. I had a need. And um, God answered that. But you know what? Pastor Strange had to be willing to be a giver to be able to do that, right? Every great Christian that I've ever known is a giver. Is a giver. Number five, I find that great Christians use their talents for God. Use their talents for God. First Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31 says, Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. God gives everyone a talent in some area. You say, I have no talent. That is a lie. You have a talent somewhere. But it's your responsibility to find a way to use your talent for God. For some, it's public speaking. For some, it's music. For some, it's organization. For some, it's it's just serving. For some, it's uh, labor, genuine hard labor. For some, it's uh, a work ethic. For some, it's giving. For some, it's God gives you a talent. Everybody has a talent, and if you don't use that talent for God many times, he will take it away from you if you don't use that talent for God. I think one of the great examples of a great Christian who uses their talents for God is Dr. Scott Cottle, who we've had on the podcast, who we've interviewed. He has a wonderful voice. Wonderful voice. Amazing piano talent. And really, if he wanted to, he could make a lot of money traveling with a group or by himself as a singing group, singing guy. What do you call those? An artist, a, a traveling singer, or whatever you want to call He can make a lot of money doing that, but instead... He uses his talents for the cause of Christ, to promote Christ, to put good music into the home of Christians really at an affordable price, all right, to cover the cost of making the CDs and and the time spent, but he uses his talents for God. How are you using your talents for God? 
Maybe you are a good public speaker. Maybe you are. Why aren't you teaching a Sunday school class? Why aren't you running a junior church? Why aren't you running a bus route? Why aren't you doing all these other things? Why aren't you using your talents for God? Maybe you play a musical instrument. Why don't you play that musical instrument for the glory of God? Use your talents for God. Number six, I find that they are thankful. They are joyful-spirited. They have a thankful spirit. They have a joyful spirit. First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse number 18 says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. James 1, 2 even says, My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations. I had the pleasure of meeting and getting to spend time with John and Donna Bishop for a meeting that we had together, and we were able to go to lunch and talk with him. And what a phenomenal story he has. I wanted to give you just briefly his story in a, a quick synopsis. In 1995, John Bishop woke up in a hospital, hospital bed in Arkansas. He had no idea who he was. In fact, he didn't know anything. He didn't know his name was John Bishop. He didn't know he had been married for 24 years to a, a lady named Donna. He didn't know they had three sons. He didn't know that he served as a pastor at a church in Arkansas. He didn't know that they lived on the grounds of a youth camp they had started. This was more than amnesia. John had suffered from aseptic meningitis, and for whatever reason, the disease wiped away all of his memory. It was so bad, he didn't even know how to read or write. He didn't know how to even walk, how to talk, how to chew food. Everything was blank. For John, it's the story of somebody who had the opportunity to start everything all over again. He says this in an interview. He said, quote, All I remember is from 1995 to this day. I remember nothing before that. Everything that happened in my life beforehand is what I've been told. When I woke up from meningitis, I did not know her, meaning his wife. I did not know me, my name. I didn't know anything. And for his wife, Donna, it's the story of a wife who basically lost her husband and had to decide what to do with this grown man who at first had to be cared for and taught as though he were an infant. She kept thinking that John's memory would return, Brother Bishop's memory, but it never did. She had to teach him how to eat again, starting with baby food. It took two years for him to walk well. He learned to speak by reading lips and matching the words he had heard with the way a pastor's mouth moved. In fact, even after 13 years um, in 1995, the 13 years time period in that time, it still took time for him to learning to improve his grammar and how he speaks. He said, uh, his wife said this, quote, it was almost like I had four boys instead of three. That's what she said. She had to assume all the responsibilities for the family, yet she never wavered in her commitment to her husband, John. She said, my parents had a good marriage, and I was always taught that when you're married, you're married for life. When you say for better or for worse in sickness and in health, you're in it for the long haul. And I never even thought about divorce. How incredible is that? How incredible is that? Hey, wasn't there something we read about great Christians or that I mentioned about great Christians not compromising? Not compromising? Here's a good question, though. How do you explain the concept of marriage to a man who doesn't remember you and doesn't even know what marriage is? At one point when Miss Donna, when she felt that Brother John had progressed enough to understand, Miss Donna told him, you're John, I'm Donna, and we're married. That means you belong to me and I belong to you. 
He looked at her and he said, you're my Donna? And he got it. Ever since, he has called her by that name, my Donna. He said this, quote, It was so easy to love her. She loved me so good. Everything I know is what my wife taught me. I tell everybody she taught me reading, writing, and my favorite subject, kissing. That's what he said. That's not what I said. That's what he said. And he still suffers, by the way, from a variety of health problems, seizures, cluster migraine headaches, an injured back, and, and uh, he's lost much of his sight over time. But the impact God has had through him because of this long struggle may be greater than anything before 1995. He and Miss Donna began God is So Good Ministries to testify to the goodness of God, even in the midst of an incredible struggle. He says that the ministry name is inspired by something God taught him during a time of depression and discouragement after his new life began. He said, I really love the book of Psalms because David had been through trials too. He kept saying, God is good. He remembers laying on the couch one night after a difficult day. He read Psalm 34, 8, which is my favorite verse, which says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Brother John, he prayed, and he said, God, I'm going to believe you're good. If I never get better, I'm still going to believe you're good because that's what your word says. Lord, this must be what faith means, believing you even when I don't feel like it. Listen to me. If anybody had, if anybody had an excuse, humanly speaking, to give up, compromise, to quit, to be grumpy, it was John Bishop. But he didn't, and he chooses to this day to have a joyful spirit about it. Number seven, I find that the great Christians are prayer warriors. First Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. I didn't say they are praying people. I said they are prayer warriors. These people pray as if their life depended on it. And by the way, your life does. Your Christian life, your spiritual life depends on how you pray. Uh, Dr. Tim Rule, a pastor um, out in California, he taught prayer at Golden State Baptist College. I loved that class and taught teaching how to pray and did a phenomenal job with it. Dr. David Gibbs Jr. of the CLA patterned his prayer life after the likes of Lester Roloff and Lee Robertson. If you listen to enough of Dr. Gibbs' messages, at some point you will hear him tell the story of Lester Roloff praying in the hotel room. And um, I think I've even told that story here on the podcast. Number eight, I find they are always involved. They are always involved. You'll find 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 15 through 18 talk about a family that was addicted to the ministry, addicted to serving others. They were always involved. I've never known, I've never known a great Christian who wasn't involved in as many, as many ministries as possible. Here's another man. He was not a pastor, but his name was Terry Sodrell. Terry Sodrell, he was a great faithful man, a great faithful layman at Winkler Road Baptist Church and had the pleasure of knowing him for years. He was always there. He was there for cleaning days. He was there for soul winning. He was there for church projects. He was there for special events. He was always there. He was always involved. Whatever you needed done, you could count on Brother Sodrell to get it done. When we started Victory Springs Independent Baptist Church, he drove up with some others from Winkler Road Baptist Church. And I mean, let's just be honest, at this time in his life, he wasn't a a spring chicken anymore. He was an older gentleman, an older gentleman who probably shouldn't have been walking as much as he did. He did a lot of walking, but you know how many doors he knocked to help start Victory Springs Independent Baptist Church? I attribute the early success and the and the quick growth of Victory Springs Independent Baptist Church 
to men like Brother Sadrol, who were willing to get on their feet and just start knocking doors. He To show you how involved he was in ministry, he died while on a missions trip. Always involved. Always involved. Number nine, I find that they aren't afraid to let their hair down. You say, what's that mean? They aren't willing to let pride affect just how they mingle, how they fellowship with others. They can just get comfortable being around people. It doesn't bother them if they're sweaty or if their hair is messed up. They're just afraid to, they're not afraid to let their hair down and just be themselves. They're not trying to copy somebody else. They just are themselves. Quit, you, quit, quit trying to be somebody else. Quit trying to copy somebody else, and I say, and you say, well, we're talking about consistencies of great Christians. You're telling me to put these things in my life. Yeah, but you don't have to copy these people to the T. Take the principles. Quit trying to be somebody else. Be what God wants you to be for him. I remember Brother Jerry Nye, a, a missionary, and done a great work for God and influenced our life greatly. Uh, Brother Jerry Nye, when he would come over on Sunday afternoons, he would sit in the recliner, and he would go to sleep. He wasn't afraid to let his hair down, but boy, has he won souls for Christ. I was sitting in a barbershop chair. I began talking with the barber about the Lord, and he said, there was an older gentleman in here today who already witnessed to me, and it was Brother Nye, and um, just a phenomenal man of God, keeping on going. They weren't afraid to, afraid to let their hair down. Number 10, they never seem to worry. Now, I know they worry, but they never seem to. Galatians 6, 9 says, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Philippians four nineteen says, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. They live by faith, and faith, well, faith won't let you worry. Faith won't let you worry. George Mueller, I never got to meet him, never got to spend time with him. I'm not that old. And so, but I've read many of his biographies and books, and he had that children's home, that orphanage, and boy, did he never seem to worry. He just seemed to have faith in God. Number 11, I find that they are, they are always loyal. And we'll finish up with this for today. They are always loyal. They're loyal to their personal walk with God. They're loyal to their family. They're loyal to the people God has given them to be around. They're loyal to their friends. They're loyal to their beliefs about God. They're just loyal people. You can count on them. They're loyal. They're always going to be there for you. They're always going to be there for their God. Think about it. What was Job to God? Well, he was loyal. He was loyal. Dr. Dave McCoy, pastors of People's Baptist Church in McDonough, Georgia, I asked him for advice on being an assistant to the pastor right before I became on staff here on Victory Springs. And he looked at me and he told me this. He said, quote, you don't have to be great at everything. The main thing is to be loyal. Always be loyal. Always be loyal. And so, consistencies that I've seen, maybe you have some things to add. There, there are plenty more things we could add. But consistencies of great Christians that I've seen, I find they're loyal. They never seem to worry. They aren't afraid to let their hair down. They don't let their pride get in the way. They're always involved. They're prayer warriors. Oh, they're thankful and joyful spirited. They use their talents for God. They're givers. They never compromise. They frequent the altar, and I find that they are soul conscious. Do you have these consistencies in your life? Do you have these things down for God? Could God look at you and call you a great Christian? Here's what I want you to do this week. I want you to look at somebody you consider a great Christian and examine what is something they have in their life 
that maybe you should add as well and work on adding that to your life this week. But for now, hey my friend, keep looking up and keep stirred up for the cause of Christ. <laughs>